Well, good morning. Welcome to the Orchard. I am so glad you are here today. And I just was reminded this morning as I was doing the first service and, and praying for you before this one that there are people in this room and engaging with us right now online or in your, pod, in your podcast in your car who uh, you are engaging with church for the first time or a, a new time uh, to see what God would have for you. And I want to remind you that uh, one thing we say about the Orchard is that Jesus is the head of this church. It is not about making anybody else famous or making anybody, anybody standing out. It is about him and him alone. And one thing that we pray before every Sunday, we prayed it today, is that God would move in power in your lives. Because here's the reality. I'm about to give a sermon, and I believe that God has something in it for each of us. But the problem is there are some of you who have been in church your entire life. You have been in church, and you've, you've heard this story, and you've heard sermons. And there are others of you who are just walking in. And somehow what, what we're about to talk about needs to connect with everybody. And here's, here's the best part about it. I don't have to be responsible for that because God's spirit can do that. And so my prayer has been for you all week that wherever you are, whenever you come in here, whatever phase of life, whatever troubles you come and sit in this place with, that God's spirit would speak to you today. Because I believe he has something for you. And my hope is that you have an encounter with God and you leave different than when you came in. So to start out, I want to tell you about a boy. He was a boy who was born blind, and his name was Bart. And when he was born as an infant, of course, he didn't know he was missing out on anything. He didn't know that other people could see. He was a little child. But as he became a toddler, he became aware that his brothers could do something called seeing, something that he could not do. And he would sit there in the privacy of his own mind, and he would try to imagine the things that his brothers were talking about. He would try to imagine a sunset or, or the sky, a blue sky. But how do you imagine those things in your head when you've never even seen a glimpse of them? He longed to see the face of his mom and dad, and Bart would sit there for hours feeling his mother's face, feeling his father's face, seeing his parents. And of course, he cried when he was left out. There were things that he just couldn't do that the other kids could. It wasn't just him who cried. Bart had felt his mom's cheeks and felt the tears on her cheeks as she cried for her son. He grew up, but in, in Bart's time, in Bart's society where he was and when he was born, there was no assistance, no scholarships, no programs. His brothers got apprenticeships when they turned 13, and they entered the workforce for what would be their lifelong industry. But for Bart, there was no apprenticeship. It was his mother who passed first, and years later, his father. And Bart finally succumbed to what he'd always feared, and knew would be his life, begging. Each morning he would sit up from his dirt bed and he would shake off his raggedy blanket and he would put it around himself as a raggedy cloak. This cloak was his one real possession. It was given to him 12 years ago by a kind stranger. And it's smelly now. It's worn. He's used it every day. In the mornings he would leave his alley and shuffle to the busy street corner and he would spend his time there for the next 12 hours begging. In the early days of begging, Bart would try to be friendly and joke or even talk with people as he'd hear them come up. But over the years, his speaking turned just to pleading, pleading. And over the decades, it turned to just silence. He didn't have the heart to even plead. He would sit there silent and downcast, okay with whatever someone would choose to give him out of their kindness. You know, you know, Bart had at one point been full of hope that, that maybe something would be different for him, but that hope is long gone. What can be done for somebody like Bart? He was born in a time and a society with difficulties that were insurmountable. 
The only peace he had is the acquiescence that things will just be the same without surprise. He sits in this corner, on the street corner. His face is a mask of numbness. He's resigned to his place. He's resigned to his plot. He's resigned to his cloak. This is Bart's life. And it will be his life until his death. Now, you might not be blind and you might not be a beggar, but chances are you have places in your life that you deeply wish were different. Maybe you were born with something that you have just never been able to overcome. Maybe you, more likely, you've picked up some wounds along the way, and those wounds and those experiences have changed you and affected you. Perhaps they're behaviors and reactions that that are now hurting relationships and hurting your loved ones or, or vices. Maybe you've stopped promising yourself that you'll quit your vices because you know you've never been able to quit them so far. Perhaps it's insecurities that cripple us more than we would ever let on. Insecurities that affect the way we see ourselves, but the way we uh, interact with our world. And for many of us, we have to admit, um, like Bart, we have a cloak, but our cloak is our anxiety. And every day we wrap it around ourselves, and throughout the day, that goes with us. For others, depression has settled in and stolen our vision, stolen the color from our life, and we become beggars for joy, and we look for experiences and vacations and relationships and hope that they give us some little fix of joy. And for others of us, listen, we've done all we know to do in life. We've experienced so many things, but we're left with this sense that there must be more. There's got to be more and what we find is we lack a purpose, we lack a destiny, we lack something. We, we, we've, we've gone through life with the fixes of fun, but nothing has fulfilled us. And while we don't think of ourselves like Bart the blind beggar, I think that we sometimes have moments of clarity. The deep and quiet desperation of our hearts, there are places that each of us wants to be free, to find freedom, to find healing. Or we have a relationship, somebody close to us, we, we are desperate that they would find that. Or we have a prodigal that's far from God that we pray. We each have these places where we desperately need God to show up. This morning, there are places in your heart, perhaps where you, if you were to access those places, you would admit, I, I, I want freedom. I want health. I want forgiveness. I want healing. And oftentimes, we just quietly hope that things will resolve. We hope that God's going to do something, or, or more, than, more than anything, we hope that circumstances will change. And today, we're going to look at a person who desired a new life, who desired life change, and who desperately wanted to be transformed. And my prayer is that by the time we're done to get today, that we've each decided to take a step out in courage and faith in the outstretched arms of God. To begin, I want to start in the book of Mark. Jesus is with his disciples, and he's walking toward Jerusalem for the last time. Mark 10, verses 46. Then Jesus and his disciples spent some time in the city of Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. So they're leaving the city of Jericho. It's 20 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem, and they're going to arrive at the, at the start of Passover week. Now, Passover is that high holy day. It's, it's, it's also the, the week that Jesus, by the end of it, would find himself tortured, crucified. So Jesus is in his final leg of his journey, leaving Jericho and the city toward Jerusalem, and all that he knows awaits him. 
Can you imagine what's on his heart? Can you imagine what's on his mind as he, as he talks about this? I mean, he's told his disciples in this very chapter what's coming. It says, Then Jesus and his disciples spent some time in the city of Jericho, and as they were leaving with a large crowd, a blind man named Bartimaeus was sitting on the roadside begging. Now we know some things from the text. Bart, the blind beggar, Bartimaeus, we find him outside the city, not inside, which tells us some things. He has long since overworn his welcome with the locals. Bartimaeus probably, most likely, uh, was born and raised in the city of Jericho. Uh, Blind beggars don't travel around much. He's probably born there. He will probably die there. That's what he thinks his life is. It's a life of poverty and darkness, but not just darkness visually, because in his day and time, with, with what he was afflicted with, there would be relational, social, cultural, and emotional implications that would keep him removed from other people in the society. It says, when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was coming toward him, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, the word here for shout is the word crazo. And this word, you have, to, you have to get this. When he cries out to Jesus, it's not like this, this, this strong voice. Crazo is a raspy, desperate, guttural cry from someone's spirit, from someone's soul who needs something and who cries out of that desperation. Jesus! This is the same Greek word that will be used a week later. When Jesus hangs on the cross and he cries out. Another interesting thing we read here is that Bartimaeus yells, he calls Jesus, he calls him the son of David. What kind of title is that? We haven't really heard that before, have we? Son of David, it's, it's a title that in their context means Messiah. It's a reference to the Old Testament prophecy that the Messiah would come from the line and the lineage of King David. So catch this. This is interesting. Jesus and his disciples and all the crowds, they're traveling, and this homeless blind man starts calling Jesus, Messiah, son of David, at the top of his lungs. This is so interesting. I didn't catch this at first, but this, this, this always gets me. Um, Bartimaeus is yelling, Jesus, son of David. Jesus, son of David. Jesus, the Messiah. This, as far as I know, is the first public proclamation of Jesus as Messiah. Now, prior to this, Peter had discussed this in the privacy of their conversation with the disciples. Yet here we have a blind man with this crazy, raspy, desperate voice declaring Jesus, Messiah, son of David, when no one else is. In a huge crowd of people who've been following Jesus around, it was Bartimaeus the blind who had spiritual 2020 vision while throngs of people around him were fumbling and confused. And if you're here today and perhaps you are in some way physically impaired or emotionally afflicted or whatever it is that you're in, know that we can learn from Bartimaeus that for some of us, while our bodies may be ill, our greatest health, may come, the greatest place of thriving might be in our spiritual life. Because Bartimaeus declares something here over the crowd. No one else is declaring we have Jesus, his closest followers, a crowd of people passing through the gates of Jericho, this city, headed to Jerusalem when this blind beggar begins yelling, Son of David, Jesus, Messiah, have mercy. Now, if you're a disciple of Jesus and you've been with Jesus for three years and you know what he can do, you've seen him do it, and you, hear, you see somebody who's obviously distressed, you can tell they're blind, you can tell they're a beggar, you know they need help, and you hear them crying out for Jesus, and you probably go, oh no, that person's in need. We should bring them to Jesus immediately. Jesus can help them. That's what we'd expect, right? 
How do they respond? They res- the crowd and the disciples, they respond much like they do at other times during, the, during this, this journey, during Jesus' years, with protection. It says many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Like, quiet. We're doing Jesus' work here. Like, we're on, a, we're on a mission from God, and you are highly out of line with this, oh, Messiah, Jesus, help me stuff. <laughs> we have some things we're trying to get to. We have some things to accomplish. I can imagine someone in the crowd like, someone get this person out of here. Like, Jesus, Jesus is on a mission. He's got things to do. We have places, we have places to go. We, we don't have time to slow down for this distraction. Many rebuked him and told him, be quiet. That right there is the ugly side of religious spirits, of a religious person, of religiosity. People who can see keeping the person who is blind from Jesus. The people who are healthy keeping the person who is unhealthy from Jesus. The people who, who go to church and are all saved and happy keeping those who aren't like them away from Jesus. People who were on the journey with Jesus kept those who needed Jesus away. Think of it. There, listen, there was one place on the planet where Bartimaeus could have gone to receive what he needed. There was one person alive on the earth at this time that Bartimaeus could have talked to who could have helped him. There was one little swatch of soil on the entire globe that if Bartimaeus gets to it, he can get the help he needs. And that was the ground in front of Jesus, the Messiah. And those who could see Jesus clearly wanted to keep him away. This isn't the blind leading the blind. This is the, the seeing rebuking the blind. And, and church, I just want to say that may this never be true of us. May, may we rebuke this in our own selves. May we, the orchard, be a people who don't let our judgment or religion keep others from Jesus. Listen, Bartimaeus didn't look like them. He didn't act like them. He had a different lifestyle than them. There was a lot about Bartimaeus they didn't agree with. When he had a need, they tried to keep him away. Let us not be that church. That when people need Jesus, we're helping them. We're facilitating. As the orchard, may we be known as a people of love who live an invitation to bring anybody to Jesus who has a need. And may we, the orchard, be a people who bring any and all into his presence. That we go out and we shine the light of Jesus. There's a world of Bartimaeus out there who are spiritually blind and, and they, they, they're eternally needy. We live with them. We work with them. We, rec- we recreate with them. We eat and drink with them. And, 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 and are we bringing them to the presence of Jesus? Now, you might say, well, I'm not keeping anybody from Jesus. We're not consciously keeping them, but perhaps our silence and inactivity is doing that very thing. May we be the church who takes, remember, the church is a people who goes outside of the walls of a building and brings people to Jesus. They might not smell like you, look like you, act like you, anything like you, but they have a Savior named Jesus who they desperately need. Let's be that church. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but what did he do? He shouted all the louder, son of David, have mercy on me. He refused to get quiet. He shouted louder when they shushed him. It makes me wonder why. Like, what is, what is prompting this? Why is he yelling this way? Why is he so insistent? What did he understand that others did not? There were probably other people in need around him. There's probably other beggars at the city gates. What about Bartimaeus? Why is he calling out? You see, I believe that Bartimaeus is seeing the light of something he hasn't seen in a lifetime. I believe that there's a beam of hope ripping through his dark, dim world and it is igniting a desperation and a a hope. 
Remember the story of this man. Remember the, the, the story I told you. Throughout his lifetime, nothing could be done for him. Nothing could help him. And he hears of this holy man, this, this, this rabbi, this Jesus, who there's somewhere saying that might be the Messiah, who, who's been around and he's healing people. He hears he can do what no one else can do. And guess what? The rumors began to make their way, even to the beggars of the city. He heard that in Bethsaida. In Bethsaida, this Jesus healed a blind man. Could he do that for me? He heard about the pool of Siloam. There was a man born blind who on this very day is walking around somewhere seeing because of Jesus. And that Jesus is walking by me? Could he, could he do that in my life? Listen, Bartimaeus may be dressed in a raggedy cloak on this day, but, but his heart is wrapped in something new, something fresh, something he has not had in a long time, hope. One of the most powerful forces on the planet. An orchard makes me want to ask, where have you given up hope in some places in your life? Where have you given up hope for wholeness or for change? Where have you given up hope in that relationship or for that prodigal or for that person? Where have you given up hope? Something important to see here is that Bartimaeus does not just sit there passively and silently, just kind of wishing that Jesus will come over to him. No, no. Jesus is there. Jesus is close by. This is his chance. He cries out. He yells. They shush him. He yells louder. Son of David, with the raspy desperation that only he could come from a lifetime of desire. Son of David, see me. Help me. Have mercy on me. What if Bartimaeus had remained silent? What if he had not, what if he had just sat there silently and hoped? I, I don't know, but I don't think we'd be talking about him today. I don't know if his name would be in the Bible And so it makes me wonder, how are you waiting for Jesus to move in your life? Passively, just wishing that something's going to happen. Is your hope buried in silence or in faith and in hope? Are you pressing in? Are you calling out in prayer with crazo, with desperation? God, move. Move in my life. Move in our life. Move in their life. Does your soul declare in those places, Jesus, I need you. See, there are things that we desire most, and those are the places that we should cry out the most in faith. And I want to encourage you, in your prayer time, whether it be in your car or wherever it is, that, that you would take, a, take part of Bartimaeus' lesson and that you would pray with some crazo. Now, on Highway 82, you'll fit right in. Everybody's yelling something at somebody, right? They'll be like, wow, that person's really angry. This is really getting them to know. You're just in there like, Jesus, see me! <laughs> Add some of that. Add some of that into your prayer and pray with, it, with, with that sort of emotion and, and, and spirit. Bartimaeus did this even when the social norms and the culture told him not to. Uh, he's standing out. He would not be deterred. His heart longed for the touch of Jesus more than he cared about the condemnation of other people. I mean, his need for Jesus' healing outweighed his need for their approval. And how often do people's approval keep you from standing up and praying or declaring or or, or living or or, or asking God to do what you want him the most to do? But Bartimaeus got to a point of desperation where his need for Jesus was greater than his need for people's approval. And he will break every cultural thing. He'll break every societal rule. He needs Jesus. His faith had overcome his pride. His hope, his desperation had overcome his pride. 
Now, back to our story, Jesus and the crowd on the way to Jerusalem. A blind man begins yelling. He's told to be quiet. He yells even louder. And how does Jesus respond? I mean, Jesus is, Jesus is on his way to the most important event in human history, his death and resurrection. He's wearing the weight of this. He knows where he's headed. In verse 49, Jesus stopped. He stopped his journey. And he said, call him over. So he said to the blind man, cheer up. On your feet, he's calling you. Cheer up. Obviously, the desperation is overcoming him. Can you imagine being Bartimaeus? You've cried out to this Messiah, and he has heard your cry. And he stopped, and he saw you, and he called you. Throwing his cloak aside, he was on his feet at once and came to Jesus. You have to catch this part. There's beauty in the little details here. There's a lot of scholarly work that have been done about Jesus' time and culture back then. Socially and financially and culturally for Bartimaeus, this cloak wasn't just eh, his coat. It was his only possession. It was his life. Some of the sages had even talked about during this culture, as a beggar, this was his uniform. People began to know him by his, you, you, you begin to know people by what they're wearing. He has this uh, cloak on him, even if he's pulled it over and he's sleeping on the streets, the people who are there would know it's Bartimaeus. It identifies him. He didn't have different clothes. He wore this every day. He used this cloak to keep warm at night. He used it to block the sun during the day. He used it if he wanted to sleep and pull it over his head. He, it, this was wrapped around him to, to protect him from bugs and, and, and the dirt as much as he could. For an impoverished, homeless, blind man, this cloak was his only constant companion. It was his most prized possession in the entire world. And what does he do when Jesus calls him forward? Bartimaeus chucks that thing. And he says, at once, on his feet. He throws it. He casts it aside because he's got something much more important in front of him at this moment. In fact, the Greek word here means, when it says Bartimaeus, it says he cast away. Not just cast aside, he cast it away. Bartimaeus cast away the very symbol of his life and begging. Bartimaeus threw aside the uniform of his old way. I always wondered what was going through his mind. Bartimaeus' heart and mind there, and I can't wait to meet him someday. Like, it'll, you know, in heaven it's going to be like the chosen, but you get to talk to the real actors, you know? So, so like, Bartimaeus, what were you thinking there? I mean, it's going to be great. I can imagine that he was saying, like, if I can only get in front of Jesus. I've heard what he's done for the blind. If I can only get in front of him, I can be healed. If I can, how do I get in front of him? If I can get in front of Jesus, I won't need this beggar's cloak ever again. Bartimaeus, by faith, was casting away his old life before he ever got his new one. He was leaving his old ways behind to make room for the new ways that God wanted to work in him. He's throwing off the symbol of what cursed him so he could move forward to receive a miracle that would bless him. Time and time again throughout Jesus' ministry, he called people to drop something to follow him. Over and over and over. For the disciples, he said, drop your fishing nets, which was the symbol of, the, of their family's business, their career, their life, everything they had known, drop it and follow me. 
drop your old life and follow me to something new. For the tax collector, he asked him to drop his sin and lifestyle. For a broken woman, he asked her to, to leave her lack of purity, to leave her sin and, and move forward as one who was loved. For another, he called him to drop his constant desire for comfort and luxury and his money and all his security and, and to drop that, cast it aside and follow Jesus into a life of purpose. For many, Jesus would ask them to drop their pride and fear to follow because it's often what keeps us frozen is our pride and fear. There is some things that you are likely clinging to in your life that God may be asking you to cast away so he can give you something new. So he can fill your life with something of far greater worth. Time and time again, what do we do? I know what I do. I cling to my cloak, my raggedy old cloak. I, I cling to my fishing net. I cling to my, my career, my, my desire for security, or, or our resources, or our pride, or our fear. We, we cling to the things that we, we become accustomed to, that we, even if they're hurting us, we, feel, we, we know them. Many of us cling to every shred of our old life and just wait for Jesus to give us a new one. Many of us grip onto the very things that hold us back from what Jesus wants to do in us moving forward. What if God is asking you to cast away, cast aside, throw aside something of your old life in preparation for something new that he wants to give you? He will never force you. He won't. He asks you to drop it and follow him, but he'll never force you to. Bartimaeus made his decision he threw aside, he cast away what was, what held him back for the sake of the glory ahead. He had a holy expectation that Jesus was who he said he was. This is why faith is so important and imperative. This is why hope is so precious. This is why our holy expectation of what God can do in us and through us in this church needs to rise up. Do you come to church with a holy expectation that you're going to have an encounter with God? When you pray and you pray those prayers, do you have a holy expectation that, that God hears you and loves you and he can move on, in your, on your behalf? What Bartimaeus is doing here, this holy expectation, is something I want more of in my life. You see, you only cast away and cast aside your old cloak if you have an expectation that you'll never need it again. He appears before Jesus with his old life left over there in the alley on the side of the road. You cast away your old raggedy past because you believe Jesus is going to clothe you in something far greater. You only leave your old life behind if you have an expectation that he has a new life ahead of you. Do you have an expectation? Do you have an expectation that God can move in and through you this way? Or, or has, your, has your religious beliefs made such a box around Jesus that, well, nothing's really going to change? Or has your lack of hope just been, is your hope been ground so far that you're afraid to even ask anymore? How much expectation do you bring to God in prayer? You'll know because you'll find yourself willing to cast aside and cast away and drop old ways, old sins, an expectation. We drop our old pattern and he gives us a new purpose. 
Throwing his cloak aside, he was on his feet at once and came to Jesus. And finally, here we have it, blind Bartimaeus there right in front of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He said, what can I do for you? I love this. People are like, man, is Jesus being mean? Remember, Jesus is informed by the Spirit. He knows all things. He, he, knows, he knows what's happening. He can tell the man's blind by looking at him. And he goes, what do you want me to do for you? Why does he ask this? Here's why. Because not every blind person wants to see. Not every spiritually blind person wants to see the truth. And we get so used to our sins, and we get so comfortable with our old ways of living, that when Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? You go, I could really use a lottery win. We just get so used to our sin, used to our old ways, used to our old life, used to the old cloak. I, this has been with me for life. When Jesus asked me what I want, well, I could, I don't know, a trip would be nice. Not everybody who's blind wants to see spiritually. And so Jesus wants to know what he wants. But Bartimaeus, he knows what he wants more than anything. As a child, it, he lay there in bed and his eyes couldn't see, but they could cry. And uh, he knows what he wants more than anything. And he utters to Jesus what he has yearned for his whole life. And he verbalizes something courageously that I believe he probably only whispered to his mother. Four words, it says, I want to see. I want to see. What would you say to Jesus there? he asked you what you want me to do for you, what would you say? I want to be free. I want to be whole. I want to be healed. I want them to come back to faith. I want them to know you. What would you say? Those four words may seem easy and obvious answer, but I can't imagine the courage it took him to verbalize it. Why? Because life wears us down, doesn't it? Life wears us down and we get used to our sin and used to our afflictions and used to our dysfunctions. We get used to these things. And if we're honest, there are places that when he says, what do you want me to do? We've given up hope in those places so we would never verbalize it. I mean, verbalizing you want to see, that takes some faith. That's stepping out. That's something only God can do. What is it only God can do in your life that you would ask him? There was a time in my life when I was so shipwrecked and so broken from circumstances and other things that I had given up hope on being whole, like just healthy in, inside my heart, so broken. I didn't have any holy expectation. I had literally just said, I'm going to live my life out the best I can and eke whatever happiness is left for me. Kind of the, the good life has passed me by I flunked out, and I'll see what God has for me. I'll just, or actually, I'll, I don't know what he has for me. I'm going to take whatever I have. And, and I remember I had, I had no hope. And the first miracle that God did in my heart wasn't to begin to give me things and like, oh, I'm going to heal. It, it was begin to whisper and breathe hope back into my soul. And I began to follow that thread to see that he, is he who he says he is? And, and does he still weave redemption into dead and old stories? Does he continue to write my story where I put a period? 
And for some of you, you're wondering, is God still weaving redemption into my story? I have made so many mistakes or I'm so far off. Can, can God do something for me? The first miracle God did was bringing my soul back to a place of hope and expectation that he could do something. So is there a circumstance, an issue, a transformation that you've given up on? That might be the place where God begins his first work of breathing hope into your heart. Jesus is standing there in a hot and dusty afternoon. Jesus is standing, he's surrounded by disciples. He's surrounded by the fans and the crowd who just want to see a show, the clingers, just all the people who want to see what goes along with it. And there he is in the middle of the circle and with Bartimaeus. And so we have, the whole crowd is now quiet because this is out of the ordinary. We have Jesus and he's standing there face to face with a blind man. Jesus is looking down into the hopeful yet blind eyes of Bartimaeus. And what does he say? He says, go. Your faith has healed you. And immediately, Bartimaeus received his sight. Now, Jesus, informed by the Holy Spirit, knew much more than we know about the story, but I wonder if he saw Bartimaeus throw his cloak. I wonder if he saw, I know he saw his faith because he mentions it, but he see him throw his old life in preparation for the new life coming. Bartimaeus exercised great faith by dropping what was and coming to Jesus for what could be. And it makes me ask myself, I'm going to ask you to ask yourself, what old life, what old pattern, what old sin, what are you holding on to until Jesus comes through? What are you going to hold on to? I'm going to hold this cloak until he comes through for me. When Jesus may be waiting for you to drop that very thing before he comes through. We think, you know, if he gives me a miracle, then I'll obey. But I see here a man who obeyed and then received a miracle. I'm not saying that he got there because of that. I'm saying that oftentimes the things we're holding on to and waiting for God to move are the things he wants us to drop so he has room to move in our life. Jesus tells Bartimaeus that his faith has healed him, but he says something. He says, go. Go on your way. Bartimaeus doesn't obey Jesus. <laughs> He's received one instruction and he doesn't do it. He says, go. No, he doesn't go. He doesn't return to his alley. He doesn't go back to a new life in Jericho. He doesn't go find his siblings he didn't go get a job. Jesus said, go, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus. He followed Jesus in utter joy, disbelief, and shock. You see, for a lifetime, he had longed for his eyes to come to life, to have the darkness break, to have light pour into his vision. He longed to take in the world, a sunset, people's faces, the colors, the sights that he'd heard about. He, he's, he's longed for this, to go see his, to go see his remaining family, perhaps, to go see the temple, to, take it, to, to do all these things that a, a blind man could finally do. He had faith that someday when he died, his eyes would be open and he would see his creator. But in God's kindness, he didn't have to wait to paradise because the first thing that Bartimaeus' eyes saw when they were open was the face of his Savior. The first thing his eyes adjusted to were the eyes of Jesus. And he never wanted to look anywhere else. This is the beauty. This is what it looks like for a true convert. Immediately when spiritually they're, 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 it's drab and colorless and dark is replaced by full color, sight, and salvation, I'm going to follow Jesus. He has done such a work in my life. I will follow him. The famous preacher Spurgeon, who can write like no one else, he writes about this moment. And listen to what he puts it. He, he's talking about this moment. He says, do you see the crowd going along? 
Who is that man in the midst who with his face so joyous? Who is that man who, who has no upper garment? He wears the dress of a beggar. Who is he? There's nothing beggarly about him, for his step is firm and his eyes are glistening and sparkling. Can you imagine that scene as the crowd continues and Bartimaeus is like, I'm in. For Bartimaeus, we learn that faith and hope matter. We learn that we should run to Jesus with hopeful expectation. We learn that we are called to cast off what was in preparation for what will be. We learn that no matter how long it's been, God is never done weaving redemption into your life. And we learn that we can be transformed by his power. So how do we respond to this? For many of us, let's be honest, for many of us listening along, watching, or here in the room, we know that we need Jesus' healing and transformation in our life in our body, in our mind, in our emotions, in our past, in our sins, in our vices, in a relationship, whatever it may be, if we can be honest, we can stand before Jesus when he says, what do you want me to do? We can whisper something from the very depths of our soul. I want you to do something very courageous today. And everybody gets nervous when I say that. But for some of us in here and... I, I want us to step into this place of Bartimaeus who stood before Jesus on that little plot of soil before the, the Savior. And he told Jesus what he wanted more than anything. And so if you're in this place and you would say, I have a desperate need, I want Jesus to move in me, in my heart, in my life, in this relationship with my prodigal, whatever it would be, that you know you need Jesus, that you would say, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. I would ask you to stand so that I can pray a special prayer over you. Would you have the courage to stand like Bartimaeus and say, I have a desire, I have a need. And with that crazo, that holy gumption, would you pray with me? Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. And then as Jesus brings you before him, he asks you, what is it I could do? I want you to take this moment to verbalize, maybe under your breath. He says, wow, what would you want? What would you tell him? Speak it. Jesus, you stood on that dusty road looking into Bartimaeus' needy face, seeing a desire in his faith, and you moved. And God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would move again today and you would move upon us that say, Jesus, Messiah, Son of David, have mercy on us. See us, hear us, see me, hear me, move in my life. I want to be healed, I want to be set free. So Father, I pray that you would do what only you can do. And you would weave redemption into these stories and these hearts and these lives to see you move in a new way. Would you all stand with me? As we go into this, this next song, I, I do realize that there are those of you who, who showed up and you have 
some, maybe some deeper or more desperate need, you, you would like some more help than just this sermon. And I would ask that some of the prayer team be back there, some of the elders if you're here, to be back in the corner over here to pray for you. I'll be up here with Amy. We'd be happy to pray for you as well. But don't miss this opportunity. And the other thing is this. We're about to sing a song about the reckless love of God who finds you, who chases you, who, who, who goes to where you are. And I just want to say that as I've been studying the Bible over, this, over the, my, my break and sabbatical, the one thing that's been leaping off the pages, the one thing that is just so true is the, how much God loves us and how much we doubt it. So this song may be an anthem of people who can stand before Jesus and express our hearts because he loves us and his love will find you. If you need prayer, go find it. For the rest of us, let's worship.